Joe, where you want to go? That's right, to OST party, and boy oh boy are we going to have big fun today. We are going to have so much fun, we're going to forget about how miserable we are, and how much life sucks, and how we're all going to grow old and die someday. I want to go home. Shut up, you little weasel! Hello, and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rockin' good time talking about all of our favorite movie soundtracks. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I will be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Hello. <laughs> are, are, are you okay? Yeah, it's been a long week, so uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here tonight. And uh, we're just here tonight. Uh, here. Hello, yes, hello. We have, uh, oh, hi. We have Rich from uh discord and rhyme coming to join us yeah glad to be here yeah now rich you you really pitched uhf to Mm -hmm. us and so i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh about your association with the movie oh well i I basically got into music through by means of weird al uh and like a just like he was my gateway drug into the into the very concept of music and just when you're when you're a weird al fan you quickly learn just you quickly learn that he has a movie and uh so i like at the time in the late 90s i dug it up on uh i ended up digging up uhf from the video store on vhs and discovering that it was a lot surprisingly a lot funnier than i expected it to be like i i really didn't have high expectations for this movie but it, it really had the makings of the cult classic it came to be yeah i think so now joe what about you um, you know, I think every kid around our, every person around our age as a kid kind of comes to Weird Al at some point or other, but uh, I didn't discover UHF until well into college. Really? Um, yeah. So I came, I came at it pretty late and, but I've, you know, I've, I've become a, a fast fan of it. Like the, the weird thing though is I haven't ever listened to the soundtrack until we started doing this episode. Yeah. Same so here. a lot of these songs are new to me. Some of them are, but um, we'll we'll get into it. Some of them, like I I absorb by osmosis, mm-hmm. and I yeah. but I don't remember like where or how. But um, has have either of you ever seen the complete Al? Uh, no, I never saw the complete Al. I've seen like portions of it. There's like a really there, there there's a really funny part of it where they say that they can't get they couldn't get the rights to the music video for uh for Michael Jackson and Mick Jagger's State of Shock. Oh, so yeah. instead like w- so instead one of the executives just like sings it in his office and yeah. like does the beat like just by himself and it's pretty funny. Yeah. It's worth <laughs> checking out. Joe, have you seen it? No, I haven't. That no. was actually I sat like multiple times before I saw UHF. I don't remember when I saw UHF. I guess it's just always been with me. That's a special bond that you and UHF have. Yes. Um, Treasure that. <laughs> I I showed it to my husband who had never seen it only like a few years ago. And of course he was cracking up and then he works at a teen center. And so he was showing the kids. There's some parts of it that aren't great. And, and Weird Al has said like, yeah, there's some stuff I probably would not do. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that's that's any movie made in the 80s. I mean. Yeah, pretty. You couldn't of, escape it. Really. Yeah. Kind of a different era. So I, I, I showed this to my girlfriend last night who had never seen this before. And her first reaction when she saw him on screen the first time, who would give this man a movie? <laughs> oh. oh, Nikki. <laughs> I know. But I mean, she did enjoy it. So we, we had a good time with it. But like she just was constantly baffled at like. This is Weird Al. Like, this is his movie. This is what he did with his movie. It's awesome. Nope, sure it's is. a great movie. <laughs> it, it is kind oh, of strange. My wife was kind of, I watched it with my wife, who uh, had a way better take on it. But she did, like, point out that it has, like, very little to do with Weird Al as a musician. It's more like Weird Al as a TV fan. Yeah. Like, you only yeah. get one of his songs in this movie. Yeah. That is strange. Yeah. Oh, well, you get the theme song and we'll we'll get into that yeah. later. But uh, sure, yeah, there is very little Weird Al music in the movie. So now this is our 27th episode. And which, yes. again, is something that, that Rich really uh, pitched to us, which is why we have him tonight. Rich, can you talk about uh, the number 27 in the Aliverse? Yeah, so 27 is a very important number in Weird Al numerology, or at least it became one over time. Uh, So, like, Weird Al fans pointed out after, like, I think in the early 90s or so that the number 27 recurred a few times in his work. Uh, I think it showed up first on the song Cable TV on the Dare to be Stupid album, uh, where he says that his friends were jealous because he's seen Porky's 27 times last week. (laughs) Uh, Quite a feat. (laughs) It shows up again on the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota on this album, (laughs) so we can talk about that then. Uh, And then like the third instance which i guess establishes a trend among weird al fans uh, is that it shows up in the video for the song this is the life like uh, he's like a he's a swinging party guy and he like takes out these two women who are numbered 26 and 27 and once weird al fans pointed it out uh, he started deliberately putting it into his songs like it shows up in the song hardware store um, on the poodle hat album mm-hmm. and like the most notable instance actually uh, is in the uh, the music video for headline news uh, his parody of crash test dummies that's a really hard title to yeah. say <laughs> You know what song I'm talking about? Once yeah. he was, yeah. Uh, well, anyway, the part with like uh, uh, Michael Michael Fay, like the guy who went to Singapore and got caned. Uh, as soon as he shows up uh, at the at the airport, like uh, there's like a big shot of him, uh, his head just next to the big, uh, like a big number twenty seven for the gate that he's <laughs> at. So that was the first like really deliberate instance of it. So um, there's nothing really significant about it. It just it's just like kind of an in joke among Weird Al fans. It's a funny fans. number. It also uh, he says Albuquerque twenty seven times at the end of Albuquerque. Oh wow. yeah, he does. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> that is quite a song. I love it. Have you guys seen Weird Al in concert? And how many times? I have seen him four times. Twice very early in life and twice pretty recently. Uh, so the first time I saw him at the uh, San Joaquin County Fair in Stockton when I was thirteen. That was a shortened show. Uh, and then when I was 16, I saw him at the Center for Performing Arts in San Jose. That was during for, that was the Running with Scissors tour. Uh, that was yep. that one was awesome. I was in like the third yeah, row was. for it. Um, and then I saw him Ooh. twice more recently. <laughs> so I saw him in 2015 on the Mandatory Fun tour, like his most recent mm-hmm. album uh, with my wife. Uh, yeah, life has gone <laughs> on. And then I saw him a couple of years ago uh, on on his more stripped stripped down tour, the uh, the ill advised Vanity tour, where he played a lot of his like more like. Uh, deep cuts his original songs and that mm-hmm. was really fun so but oh that was the that was the tour that i really wanted to go to and i missed out but uh, I, I i did get to see him finally for my very first time last year on the strings attached tour that's oh, right i, I think you one. missed an episode of ost party because of it <laughs> yeah yeah 
As much as I love Weird Al, I decided that three times in such a, in such a short, short span as an adult was too much. <laughs> that's that's fair. Though I yeah. will say, though, at that concert, he opened with the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. And my girlfriend gave me this look, and the look was just like, what did you bring me to? Did she grow? <laughs> is she Amish? Had she never heard Weird Al? I don't know. They just, she was just never exposed to it the way that I was. Wow, what a weird life! It was a it was a fun uh, a fun education that night. Yeah, we saw him uh, most recently. I've also seen him four times. I saw him on Running with Scissors, um, and Jonathan Colton was the open, which established my lifelong hatred oh, wow. of Jonathan Colton. Oh, um, I managed to flirt my way to the front row, and. It was it was nice because that concert was at SUNY Delhi, and my friend Anne's father had died of a heart attack right in front of her a couple months previous, and this was like the first time she was really starting to get back out. We were still in high school, and so I just I have very fond memories of that. And so like the two of us like ran to the front, and during uh, Yoda, he held the microphone down to us. I was like, oh. okay, life is gonna go on. Like this is this feels good. I'm everyone's gonna be okay and so Weird Al has like been there for me in like really dark times as I think he has for a lot of people like including uh including today um I know some listeners out there will know that um I just lost my music teacher from high school and her funeral was today and it was it was tough but I'm glad I went but uh then coming home and watching UHF kind of helped the second time I saw him Jimmy Fallon was the opener Ooh. And he sucks. Wow. <laughs> the third time I saw him, there was no opener. Uh, I think that was on Mandatory Fun, but I went with my husband. And we just had such a blast. Uh, and he played Frank's 2000-inch TV, which I was somehow surprised was not on this album. I mean, that comes much later, but that would have been a perfect song for this album. Mm, as yeah. with cable TV. Yeah. But uh, then I saw him on that stripped down tour i saw him at the apollo i've only ever seen white performers at the apollo (laughs) (laughs) i saw morrissey at the apollo like what the actual hell Uh, but did you did you get a citation for that that seems like a crime yeah well on that tour i saw him at the michigan theater in ann arbor he came right to me it was awesome i had to walk like a mile and a half nice yeah yeah but, uh, but yeah, so he opened with, or I don't think he opened with it, but he played the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. You know who the opener was? Hmm. Emo Phillips. Oh, yeah, oh. he opened on that tour. It was like the UHF reunion tour. He was hilarious, yeah. I was, like, was... It's, I was like, it's either Emo Phillips or it's Morrissey. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Although, given this movie's association with some known racists, such as Michael Richards and Victoria Jackson, wouldn't be surprised. Um, so let's kind of get this show on the move. Uh, Libby, we have uh, some polls from our last episode to take care of real quick. We did two polls for our Christmas episode on Home Alone 2. Our first poll was, who was the king of the cool jerk? Your options were Libby, Joe, and Uncle Frank. And you picked Uncle Frank with 46%. I voted for Uncle Frank. The correct answer. <laughs> I was never going to win, so I backed the right horse. <laughs> uh, I came in. I was going to vote for Todd Rundgren, but he wasn't on there. 
get off our podcast, you monster. Uh, I came in with 38%, so thank you. And Joe came in with 15%. God bless both of you. <laughs> so uh, we actually then had a poll about the music uh, on there. It was what was the best song on the Home Alone 2 soundtrack. Uh, cool Jerk won by 45%. I'm honestly disappointed in a lot of you because you had All Alone on Christmas. That got 35%, but should have gotten more. I heard that song in Hannaford. Like two days before Christmas. (laughs) I'm just shopping at Hannaford, uh, which for those of you not this high up on the East Coast is a grocery store. It's like a Piggly Wiggly, if you will. I turned to you and I'm like, I know this song. This is from Home Alone 2. I was so proud. I think I texted Joe. I uh, yes. You did. That's right. I forgot I'm about like, that. By the way, I had a talk boy. Uh, you were asking for like listeners who had talk boys. I had one. Yes. I think I got it for Christmas. Uh, it was a piece of crap. It didn't work very well. One thing that's interesting about it, though, is that in the movie, Kevin slows down it and makes it go like credit card. You got it by squeezing yeah. it. Uh, and so, like, they didn't actually want kids to, like, do things that broke the cassette, so they actually just had, like, a switch that slowed it down. That was the only difference, but otherwise it didn't work very well. Did you commit any crimes with it? Uh, only, like, two or three. <laughs> any credit card fraud? Uh, yeah, it was all credit card fraud. Okay. I mean, I, I exclusively did credit card fraud. Okay, I have to now inform you that I am wearing a wire, so, Rich, I'm sorry. <laughs> Statute of limitations. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, uh, I also found out that my husband had one, which had I known that, I would have made him sign a prenup. Uh, (laughs) But he said he no longer had the Talkboy, but he still had the tape. And he and his dad made a radio show on a road trip to his grandmother's house. Oh, wow. So uh, he says he thinks he knows where it is. But my husband had all sorts of cool toys. His parents loved him. I used to walk around with a little tape recorder just, like, making, like, uh, radio shows for myself. Like, in retrospect, it's really obvious that I would eventually become a podcaster. But um, (laughs) I have no idea where those tapes are. They would be great blackmail material. That would be really funny. I'd love to hear those. Um, We still have two more songs on our poll. So, uh, Christmas All Over Again. You people gave uh, Tom Petty a very disrespectful 13%. He died for you. I can't believe this. And TLC's (laughs) Sleigh Ride got 6%. You guys just weren't ready for it. That's that's the bigger crime, in my opinion, because that song is a- amazing. It's amazing and so bizarre. like That it exists is, is what baffles yeah. me. I love it. <laughs> All right. So we will post a poll uh, after this episode airs. So uh, before we talk about UHF, I do have a little bit of billboarding school to talk about. This album did chart, if only briefly. Uh, came out August 19th, 1989. Uh, debuted on the charts at one, number 146. Uh, that week, Princess Batman soundtrack was in its sixth week at number one. Ah, uh, yes. And so you know, <laughs> this was the summer of Batman and Prince. Yes, which is why UHF itself <laughs> didn't do great at the box office, was because of Batman. Plus, plus the Last Crusade and Do the Right Thing and just all sorts of yeah. just big blockbusters. It was a it was a rough summer. For UHF. This was like one of the biggest like movie summers ever, and UHF just kind of got lost in the shuffle. Couldn't handle it. Maybe if it had so, gone yeah. up against Godzilla. Maybe. <laughs> it could have happened. Uh, so this was gone after four weeks on the charts. It didn't last long. Like it, it debuted at 146, and it peaked and just dropped. And the week that it dropped off, Princess Batman was still at number five. So <laughs> Where it would Batman remain fever. until the bodyguard came along, which would remain 
until the Titanic soundtrack came along. Prince's greatest album. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's that's why it had to be destroyed in Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Callback. All right, so that's that's how uh, UHF did on the charts. The movie, though, um, on a five million dollar budget, it made six million dollars, six point one million dollars. So uh, not a success. I mean, it made its money back, I guess, but not a success by really any metric. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it disappeared for a while until um, maybe. Maybe DVD brought it back into like the, the the consciousness a bit. Yeah, or VHS and probably cable sort of supported it. Became a cult classic, and I think now enjoys a comfortable success. Yeah, as a yeah in college, I, I saw it as a midnight movie. It was first emerging as kind of like something you would see in that context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people have spatulas and Twinkie Weenie sandwiches. Wait, really? That's cool. <laughs> Oh, yeah, wow. including myself. That's I do not want to eat a Twinkie Wiener sandwich. That sounds disgusting. But that's cool that they like did a whole midnight movie thing of it. I mean, I think I just watched it like on VHS in my boyfriend's like living room. Which leads into my next question. Have either of you ever tried a Twinkie Wiener sandwich? No. Yes, I brought them myself to the screening. I was a 19-year-old college student. I was a little drunk. <laughs> it was disgusting. <laughs> I, too, have conducted this experiment for science, and it is, in fact, disgusting. Oh. Especially because you got to put the cheese whiz on top for it to be proper. Oh, God. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Weirdal's a vegan now. He would never have one of those. Uh, I think he actually ate those at the time. Yeah, he uh, he did say at one point that uh, he made them with tofu dogs. Oh, oh good. He can still yes. have them. That's, that's not better. <laughs> no, that's so- None of that is better. <laughs> Some of that is somehow worse. Uh, so where do we want to start with UHF tonight? Rich, do you want to give us a brief summary of the movie? Well, so the elevator pitch for the movie is that Weird Al plays, he doesn't play Weird Al Yankovic, he plays George Newman, and uh, a, a daydreamer who gets fired from his fast food job and then just uh, stumbles his way into owning a TV station, where he, uh, which serves as like a platform for just various like uh, various parodies and things just to, uh, for like Weird Al's like sense of humor as filtered through television. So the station is a failure at first. Uh, so one day on a depressed whim, George decides to let the station's janitor, Stanley Spadowski, played by Michael Richards, to host a children's show. Uh, it becomes an immediate success and uh, and the station suddenly becomes like just the number one in town, which attracts the ire of the station's local network affili- affiliate. Uh, shoot, I can't even remember what they're... I can't remember what what number it is i've seen this movie like yeah channel eight i've seen it like so many times uh so that and that and that provides the primary conflict for the movie like uh they i'm trying i'm trying to remember how it all like how it all pans out but like uh but channel but channel eight eventually like tries to seize control of u62 the uhf station um and then there's like a big like telethon and uh everybody's happy in the end and yay uh, and it's actually kind of mm-hmm. neat. I was reading this uh, this article at uh, in Current Affairs about the egalitarian politics of UHF because it just celebrated its uh, 30th anniversary, and yeah, the idea of one company that is Channel Eight buying up all the other companies and instead Channel sixty two selling shares to all the people so that it's community owned is 
very radical. And also, especially when we're in this age where Disney owns everything, UHF is an incredibly punk rock film. I'm honestly surprised mm-hmm. Disney doesn't own it. Yeah, watching it as a kid, I thought they were, they were just, like, going public. Like, well, I didn't know the term going public as a kid, but, like, just, just that, like, you know, they were a company that sold stock. I did. It's It's interesting, like, watching it now. Yeah, they essentially just become, like... Yeah, just the local community-owned radio uh, TV station in the end. Now, th- this brings up the my one and only like plot hole complaint about this movie. What was stopping R.J. Fletcher from just buying up as many of the shares as he could? Uh, he was <laughs> off, I guess, playing golf. He didn't see the telethon. I don't think we ever actually see him watching the telethon. Well, he he oh, sees right. it because he knows it's going on, but yeah, and we he know he has the money. Stanley, so. that's a good question. So, like, what was stopping him from just buying the shares and then having owning the the station outright? That's a plot hole, and I'm gonna leave it there because that's not. Yeah, fun. that's that that never occurred to me. You would be a way better supervillain than RJ yeah. Fletcher. Um, <laughs> I well, I'm going to do what they ask, and I'll buy all of the shares. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have the money. <laughs> That's right. He does see it. Okay. Um, now, one of the things I do want to point out, they this has some like extremely classic Weird Al bits. So you've got Spatula City, uh, which I knew mm-hmm. even before I saw this movie. Like my mom would like sing that ditty. <laughs> uh, Conan the Librarian, uh, Gandhi Two, which is one of those. It's brownface because it's uh, director Jay Levy. Yeah, and I'm just like, oh boy, no. Also, Weird Al's manager. Yes, mm-hmm. just like, oh yikes, oh boy. Uh, Fun thing about uh, about Jay Levy, this was his one and only feature film that he ever directed. He did go on to direct a lot of TV stuff, including a Beverly Hillbillies reunion special. I love everything about that. <laughs> that makes so sense. he's definitely got a brand. Yes, he does. But um, during the telethon, we see the return of an old OST party friend. Did you pick that up, Joe? Um, give me a sec. Oh, the Kipper Kids. Yes, who were in our Forbidden Zone episode. So welcome back, uh, Mr. Bette Midler. Which, that that was the first time I'd ever encountered the Kipper Kids. And for years after that, I just had that clip in my head of just two guys going, <laughs> yeah, and it's, un- <laughs> it's still unsaid. Oh, I never knew who those were. Yep, that's mm-hmm. awesome. And one of them's very. <laughs> you, you filled in the one gap in my mind related to UHF. There we go. We live to serve. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's what this. This is an educational podcast. OST party, you complete. Me. <laughs> yeah. I'm, so uh, sorry. Go on. I don't know. I was going to start to to get into like the actual uh, uh, soundtrack and, and some of the songs that are associated with this movie. All right, well let's um, let's get right so into it. Lib- Libby's arch rival and and arch nemesis across all space and time, uh, Nathan Rabin. <sighs> yeah, he, he's he's he recently completed like a a year long quest to review every single song that Weird Al ever wrote. In his reviews of the UHF album, I learned I learned something about Weird Al rather that. Typically on a Weird Al album, the first song would be like the big hit single. And on UHF, it's not. It, I mean, Beverly Hillbillies, Money for Nothing is a single. They put a, the video for it is basically in the movie. Mm-hmm. But the first single was the theme song UHF, which is like deep in the, in the album. Yeah. And I just thought that was an interesting choice to, I mean, obviously you want to 
put UHF out there as a single because you want to promote the movie, mm-hmm. but then to like kind of bury it in the middle of the soundtrack is an odd choice. And it's also the title track. I mean, we hear it at the start of the film. Yeah, so, and also at the end of the film. Yeah, let's let's actually go to a clip from uh, from UHF. I love this song. I love this. This is actually one of my favorite Weird Al songs. Yeah, mine too. And it is absolutely my favorite Weird Al video. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because it's it's so much more than just... it's. I mean, it's not a parody, really. Um, but it's a video parody of a lot of things. Yes, including Guns of ZZ Top, The Beatles, In Excess. Specific videos parody include Robert Palmer's Addicted to Love, which uh, he had done Addicted to Spuds as well. Uh, George Michael's Faith. Talking Heads, Once in a Lifetime, Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer, Billy Idol's White Wedding, uh, NXS uh, Mediate, Randy Newman's I Love LA, and George Michael's Faith. And the George Michael bit where he turns around and he's got Look at My Butt written on the back of his jacket is the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen. It still (laughs) cracks me up. For Talking Heads, you get a little bit of Stop Making Sense in there, too. You see him with Mm -hmm. the big suit on toward the end. Yeah, I love that video. I actually like it. Well, So this was like... Uh, when I first watched it, I had it like on a video collection on VHS, mm-hmm. and it was uh, you couldn't just look up videos on YouTube at the mm-hmm. time. So like watching that video was like a way to watch a bunch of other music videos at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, like yeah. kind of filtered through Weird Al before I could just look them up. Uh, yeah, that's one of my favorites too. And actually, I I thought it was cool that he did uh, a little bit of the Prince parody because he had wanted to parody Prince, and Prince being Prince was like no. No way. And especially yeah. because, you know, Batman was beating him on the charts. <laughs> it's kind of neat to see him get get in there. And I know that he is he's very cautious about that sort of thing. He doesn't like to step on anybody's toes. There was the whole thing with uh, Gangster's Paradise um, where there was, you know, the miscommunication between the label and he felt bad about it. So, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. it's still it's it's kind of funny to like- see the. Prince, Prince is like is like Weird Al's white whale. Like he, he could never he get could never yeah. parody a song, so he just he got to do it in a video. Uh, though apparently Weird Al was at the same award ceremony as Prince once, and he was instructed uh, by like Prince's people or or somebody like just not to make eye contact with him, which oh, is God. just I love Prince, but I, I'm just like there you know there's like not wanting your work to be parodied, and then there's just like straight dissing Weird Al, which I can't get behind. Yeah, no, I. Uh... But, but the one the thing I just I want to point out about this video as the girl on your podcast mm-hmm. Weird Al is like unsettlingly hot. He's honest to, he's an honest to god babe and a half. He's a good-looking dude like what he's doing the like Billy Idol like unwrap it. I was like holy shit, Weird Al is hot. Yeah, like he's he's hot in the uh the video for the Phantom Menace one too when he's playing obi-wan holy shit i remember i had a picture of him like tacked up in my locker in like 10th grade i'm like that guy can get it so you're saying normal al is preferable to weird al it really just like without the mustache and with short hair he's like stupid hot yeah so normal al yeah i guess yeah normal he's really 
Weird Al is hot, and we all need to just, like, settle down and admit that. I think we as a society have failed to recognize he's a fucking fox. Yeah, even the cover of that album, Running With Scissors, is him, like, running on a track with scissors, being, you know, with his new look, being like, look at me, I'm a babe. It's, I don't like the long (laughs) hair, but I don't know. I just, I just think Weird Al can get it, is what I'm saying. (laughs) I don't know where to go with this. I think we said all we could say about UHF. Um, I do like this. I I do. I love that it's a, it's an original. I love the sound of it, and I love his songs about TV because I love cable TV. I love Frank's two thousand inch TV. That's those are all. I there's like when you think about the themes that run through the Weird Al catalog, his songs about yeah. TV like stand out for me. I mean, he he put out like two whole compilations, one called the the TV album and one called the food album. Yeah. So yeah, very self aware of him. Like yeah, real. Those are two very uh, recurring themes in his work, for yeah. sure. And and two things that appear multiple times on this soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly, like Frank's two thousand inch TV is the best REM song that's ever been recorded, including we have yeah, an REM gorgeous. parody on this album. Yeah, we sure do. Which uh, we'll get to in a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, UHF was like the big, the big song, the big music video uh, for this uh, movie. But then the music video that's actually featured in the movie, the one that it's like the whole thing is built around, is a parody of Dire Straits' "Money for Nothing," uh, and the song is titled "Money for Nothing" slash Beverly Hillbillies. Um, so before we talk about that, let's let's just take a, a quick listen to that. Now let me tell you, one day you were shooting. Old Jed was shooting at some food When all of a sudden right up from the ground there Well it came a bubbling crew Oh that is well maybe you call it Black gold the Texas tea Y'all come back now you hear <laughs> Did you guys ever watch the Beverly Hillbillies? I watched the 1993 movie. It's pretty good. I know there's that great joke where uh, Dolly Parton, where, yes, it's Dolly Parton. She's like, I hope you find happiness or happiness. And he's like, what? Because it sounds like. Oh, I think that was Leah Thompson, actually. Oh, well. Like, yeah, like with the with the bad French accent. Help me find yeah. happiness. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah she exactly. looks like Dolly Parton. I can't believe I remember that. And, too. Yeah. Well, because she says the word penis and you're like, oh, okay. You think she says penis. Mm hmm. Yeah, so that's my primary memory of the Beverly Hillbillies. It's that it's the terrible 1983 so, movie. My sister mm. and I used to watch it. Like she was weirdly obsessed with the Beverly Hillbillies. But my sister is also in love with Aaron Burr. Like literally, not like the dude from Hamilton who plays Aaron Burr. So my sister's wonderful and strange. Your family is weird. I have a very weird family. I should have gotten into the Beverly Hillbillies as a kid because I watched a lot of like Nick at Night and TV Land for some reason. Hell yeah, but Nick at Night. Beverly Hillbillies was not, just not one that I ever really got into. Um, it was... Yeah. I couldn't tell you a single thing about a single episode. No. I just know that they moved to Beverly Hillbillies. I know Hill. the theme song, and like y'all said, I know the, uh, the 1993 movie starring Jim Varney, God Rest His Soul. Oh my God, that's right. That was Jim Varney. 
but like that but the uh, the video in the movie one thing that's funny is that in i remember in college watching this with my friends they would be like uh what's the what's the shitty music video in the middle of the movie uh, and watching it now with my wife she was like finally a weird al song <laughs> it, it was such an amazing reaction i i it, it kind of like brings the movie to a halt but i am glad to just finally hear a weird al song i agree yeah it's like it's like oh right this is what we're here for <laughs> Yeah, which is strange because in any other film that wouldn't work. But al- but also, but I think be- I was gonna say because we bring our Weird Al expectations to the film, and he plays man to like have that in the center of it. Mm-hmm. And this movie starts real slow too. Like yeah. the first ten minutes or so of that setup is is there are jokes, but it's really it it doesn't really get revved revved up until he starts working at the TV station. Yeah, that was one of the things I noticed in this watch was the um, Raiders of the Lost Ark parody goes on way too long. Yeah, I guess that's one thing we should note is that uh, one thing is that George has a very overactive imagination in the movie and he that's how he filters that into into his shows and stuff. And so occasionally he'll have like a dream sequence that are that's always a parody of something. And they're always in one case, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. In the second case, it's Rambo. And they're pretty funny, but they go on forever. They yeah. Do, yeah. Yeah. And... So actually, um, you know, because this overactive imagination leads to the creation of shows like World of Fish, uh, you know, Stanley Spadowski's Clubhouse, they, like on the board, they've got like Volcano Worshippers Hour, uh, Town Talk with George, which was a kind of a precursor to Jerry Springer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, they've got like the dominatrix and the KKK, and everyone just like throwing chairs at each other. Now, did you guys Sex ever? Furniture. Yes. Lesbian Nazi hookers abducted by UFOs and forced into weight loss programs. All this week on Town Talk. Did you guys ever watch like public access? Tell me about your local public access stations. I never really watched public access. Uh, my one real experience with UA- a UHF station was uh, in the Bay Area. We had Channel Forty Four, which was uh, the network, af- which was not not a network affiliate. It was a, it was like the station that would play all the syndicated stuff, like Star Trek: The Next Generation. So, in other words, it was the most important station on the dial. Okay, Joe. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. We, I mean, we just d- either didn't have that around here in the early nineties, or I didn't care. So I just I don't have any uh, relation to it really. I don't remember much about Cobalt Skills, like public access or UHF stations. Um, I know that there was one and operated out of the basement of SUNY Cobalt Skill, and I took a class on like camera work, but I never did anything with it. But that was so you could, you know, check out cameras from the library. Uh, New York has the best public access station. It's the Manhattan News Network. And it is fucking wild, yo. It is the closest thing to when I saw that board in the scene where they've got all the listings of all the shows. It reminded me of flipping channels and seeing Manhattan Neighborhood Network. There is the uh, intergalactic rapper, which was a guy in a cheap Halloween alien costume freestyle rapping and it had like ladies you can win a date with the intergalactic rapper send a photo to you know probably some fucking track phone number because it was what? yes i will i will oh post the I, I will find it and i will send that to you joe so you could it's not <laughs> good um you know it was just very you know people just going into the station and doing weird shit 
and then there was another there was a uh, local access station here and when they go to uh, U62 they run into Philo and he talks about how he lives at the station that was what was happening at the station here it was in like the back of a mini mall next to my favorite restaurant and the store where I bought my wedding dress and it was a little TV station and it mostly played old episodes of Bonanza and like the gospel hymn hour with Reverend Mel Farmer who's a friend of mine but I think the guy lived there there was like a cot and I'm pretty sure that's where he lived so he was like Philo only only real yeah, and really much creepier. So UHF and public access stations are really a lost art. A lot of them, the FCC has gotten rid of a lot yeah, of them. Yeah, like the more I think about it, the, I think my really only real exposure to like public access TV is uh, Wayne's World, which is not public access, but like that's yeah. the, the same world as UHF. Yeah, I knew more about Wayne's World than I knew <laughs> about UHF as a kid. Yeah, yeah, I never really had any experience with, like, straight-up public access television. Like, uh, but, I mean, one of the things about U62 in the movie is that they're just straight-up producing an entire slate of programming in-house. Yeah, and and it's all local content. And I think part of what makes this film so special is, you know, George himself can't run the station. It takes creative content from the whole town to really make something work. So everyone needs to contribute their time and their talents in order to create a better community is sort of the theme of this film. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the contributors, one person I want to give a shout out to is the cameraman played by Billy Barty. Yes. Uh, who is, yeah, who is like an old timey child actor. He's in like, a, he's in the Busby Berkeley, but he's in Gold Diggers of 1933, the Busby Berkeley movie. Mm, yeah. Like, it's just, it's just really wild seeing him in this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's, Get back to Money for Nothing and with some fancy editing. So Mark Knopfler, the uh, lead singer and guitarist for Money for Nothing, actually plays the solo in this. He's playing the guitar <laughs> as opposed to Jim West. The way I heard it was that uh, when Al asked, you know, did his due diligence and asked for permission, like that was the stipulation that like he would he let Mark Knopfler come and yeah. play guitar on it. Before well, he, he uh, so, so Mark Knopfler actually sent it in on a tape. And uh, it, because he said, like, yeah, I have to play it, uh, obviously. So uh, and in the four years since his playing had like it had changed a, a lot. So like that, that's why it's slightly mm-hmm. different than on the album version. Whereas like, you know, Weird Al's band is known for like meticulously recreating. Everything. Yeah. But I thought that was kind of cool that he wanted yeah. to be a part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. He's a, I mean, he's an amazing guitarist. And that's not an easy song. Oh, I, that's one of those songs that I don't think about very often. But then when I hear it, or even, you know, this version, I'm like, that is such a fucking good song. Yeah, the the instrumentation is so much better than the, the lyrics. Like, the, the lyrics are kind of nothing. But, uh, the like, the actual music, and even the music video, has just it's just such an iconic look and sound that, like, of course Weird Al had to parody it. You know, it, it he couldn't not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's, it's. It's not his best parody because he's really just using the lyrics of the Beverly Hillbillies. And he really is just explaining what the Beverly Hillbillies is. Yeah, and it's that doesn't 
necessarily work for me, especially against something like UHF or some of the other songs we get on here. But it's really bolstered by the fact that it's money for nothing. Yeah. And that's yeah. a great song. And I think it's also a contractual stipulation that the, that the title had to be Money for Nothing slash Beverly Hillbillies, uh, which is a yeah. really dumb title. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was, yeah. it was originally supposed to be a parody of Let's Go Crazy. Of course. Oh. So. Yes. Yeah, so oh. there we have. Wow. We have our Prince connection. Mm-hmm. I know he wanted to parody Kiss as well. Uh, he, he tried to hit up Prince like several times for a parody, but... Mm-hmm. This is not a Prince episode. It was, it was not meant to be. Yeah, it was, it was not meant to be. Um, it's a fun video, and they just kind of plop it right into the middle of the movie. You know, George, he literally falls asleep at his desk, dreams this video about the Beverly Hillbillies, and then comes back to, and the plot continues. It's really... Mm-hmm. Just, what this movie really is, I think it wants to be, is like a sketch comedy kind of film, and it almost is. But then it weirdly holds together. It's like in attempting to make sketch comedy, you actually have a film that holds together really well. It's really dedicated to that plot, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, it's like a Zucker Brothers type thing, like references, sight gags, and yeah. just like out of nowhere humor. Yeah, but it never breaks down to that sketch show feel. Yeah. Here's here's a, an interesting question. This feels so much like a, a, a Zucker comedy. Can you imagine a UHF that was directed by the Zuckers? Like a Zazz I think UHF. that would have crossed a line into insufferable. Would it have been too much? Yes, I think so. Mm. I yeah, think. I don't know because I, 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 there's not really much of a, a an auteur's look to this movie. Like Jay Levy really just stays out of the way and just lets Weird Al's humor do the directing. Honestly, I, I wonder what people with a really strong voice would have done here. Yeah, and I, I think this was probably like the the birth of Al deciding that he really needed to, I guess, take control and direct his videos himself because like, mm-hmm. i think jay levy continued to direct some of his videos but like in the mid 90s al like really went hard on like i have to do this per- personally to get it right yeah mm-hmm. and then also went on to direct other people's videos yeah, yeah john, he john does spencer have an blues, eye john spencer blues explosion that's a weird choice yeah <laughs> yeah wow well i want to talk about uh the song the biggest ball of twine in minnesota which is my other yes. favorite song off this oh album. The sign that said twine ball eggs at 50 miles. Oh, the kids were so happy they started singing 99 bottles of beer on the wall for the 27th time that day. So we pulled off the road at the last chance gas station, got a few more pickled wieners and a diet chocolate soda. On our way to see the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. We're gonna see the biggest. Now, this one, as I said, I've, I've heard him do this live. It's it's kind of a parody of like singer songwriter folky types like Harry Chapin and that that sort of nonsense. Well, it's a lot of it's like a ten thousand pounds of bananas by uh, uh by Harry Chapin specifically. Yeah. I think is the is the is the target the very here. specific. Um, this song hits everything for me because it's about road trips and goofy attractions, and those are two things I love. <laughs> It also just sounds really great, and that that like chorus hit is so catchy. Like you, even just as I say, the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota, you hear it. Like you, you mm-hmm. have to stop yourself from singing it. Yes, don't you? Um, yeah, an old internet acquaintance, acquaintance of mine described it as hymnal, and I think that's a great way of putting yes. it. Mm, yeah. Um, I like that. Now, have either of you been to a big 
giant ball of twine. Perhaps the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. I have not, but I know you have. Yes, I have. <laughs> and here's where the story comes in. This is my Brag. my ball of twine story. Well, how about how about this? Just so we, we make this democratic, uh, talk about your favorite obnoxious road trip roadside attraction, Libby. Go. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> we well, on, well, Ian and I were on our honeymoon in 2015. He discovered that there was a giant ball. It was the world's largest ball of sisal twine in Cocker City, Kansas. And we were in Oklahoma City at the time, staying with my grandmother. And we had to head back north anyway. So we thought, well, we've got to go through Kansas. We might as well see the biggest ball of sisal twine. So we drove along the highway in Kansas. Now, something you need to know about Kansas. Kansas has two things going for it. One, Kansas State University has a ridiculously hot population of alumni. Look up some of their alums sometime. Two of them are extremely Libby. Ridiculously hot guys graduate from there. I can't even tell you. The other thing is they have truck stops where you can buy the hardest pornography I have ever seen in my life. Just like right out in the open, not behind a counter or anything, next to t-shirts that say, want a taco about Jesus? Let us pray. And there's a picture of a taco. And it's lettuce, like what you put on a taco. So we drove <laughs> uh, looking at this, passing these for about 75 miles. And then our GPS is like, turn left. And we proceeded to like drive another hour and a half down increasingly dirt roads with no like sight of humanity or civilization for miles, just straight to the horizon. Because we're thinking Cocker City, it's going to be a city, right? No. When we finally arrive in Cocker City, it looks like Silent Hill. <laughs> there is nothing. There are storefronts. They have things in them, but they have been abandoned for years. It's just like the town that the rapture took. Oh, God. So we roll up. We could find the biggest ball of twine because it's literally the only thing in town. And we're standing there, and this guy comes up. He's like, so you're here to see our big ball of twine? Like, no, we're here for the French Film Festival. Of course we're here to see your stupid ball of twine. We drove like four hours. And he's like, well, do you want to add to the ball of twine? I can call Faith right now. She can come over, and she'll bring you some twine, and you can add to it. So we're like, well, fuck yeah. Of course, yeah. We're going to add to the goddamn ball of twine. So Faith, he calls up Faith, and Faith comes over, and she brings ball of twine. And that's actually how they measure it, because they know how much a spool weighs. So once the spool's empty, they know how much they've added to the ball of twine, which is kind of neat. Oh, that's clever. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So we then go to uh, the gift shop, which is down a street where the sidewalk ends. And then there's just grass. There's still houses, but the grass is overtaken. The sidewalk, there are trees down. We find this quote-unquote bed and breakfast which smells like cat pee the woman lets us in and she's like well you could stay at the bed and breakfast I'm like ah oh, we really need to not do that please god anywhere we're gonna get i it like i think these people are gonna eat us we bought some postcards a magnet and an ornament which hangs on our christmas tree and i believe that that person made it it has some twine on it it is adorable we treasure it we got back on the road. We drove another, I don't know, 200 miles back to civilization. And we did not stop driving until we got out of Kansas. Because I was not spending the night in fucking Kansas. 
Was the ball of twine in a little shrine under a makeshift pagoda? It was in a little shrine under a makeshift pagoda. I did not fall to my knees and cry. I didn't crack a beer. Uh, and we actually, nobody stole our uh, our camera. So I do have photos. Uh, they will be posted on the OST Party Twitter. Rich, what is your favorite roadside attraction? I can't top that story. I've never been much of a roadside attraction person. There's I think no. I like uh, watched that one episode of Doug uh, and uh, where they get like where they go to a where they waste a bunch of time going to roadside attractions and was like, oh, I'm never going to do that. Oh, wasting time. Life is for wasting time at roadside attractions. It really is. Mm-hmm. You're, you've convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joe. Okay. So a couple of years ago, I decided I wanted to drive to Alabama. But hey, let me explain, because okay. I'm I'm a, a as a child, I was a huge NASA dork and I always wanted to go to the Space Center in Huntsville, Alabama. Okay. And a couple of years ago, I realized it's actually not that far of a drive. I can make it in one day. So I make my plans to go to Huntsville to see space camp and all this other stuff. But then I realized, well, I can I wonder what things are, uh, you know, available along the way. So I start looking things up and I discover the Georgia Guidestones. Are y'all familiar with this? No. No. Okay, the Georgia Guidestones are a collection of like 10 giant stone slabs that were constructed and engraved and placed in a field in the middle of nowhere in like the Georgia foothills. And you go out there and it's a little tiny gravel parking lot off the side of the main road. And there's nothing out there but like a cornfield and these stones and a single ca- like security camera on a stick. <laughs> and that's it. And you go up to the stones and each stone is written in a different language, English and Spanish and like Chinese and Russian and Swahili. And they have 10 rules for how humanity should conduct itself in the event of an apocalypse. It's like a living Dr. Bronner's bottle. Kind of. <laughs> Wow. And so I, 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 I looked it up. I said, I have to see this. So yes. I went there, pulled off to the side of the road uh, into this little parking lot, studied it, took pictures, was just kind of fascinated for a, like an hour. Didn't see a single person the entire time. <laughs> but then I noticed that security camera and I thought, I wonder who's watching me do this right now. Philo. The, the Illuminati is going to find me. <laughs> And I, so I took my pictures and I, I enjoyed it and I left. Still did not see a single living soul for like an hour after I left this site. <laughs> it is fascinating and kind of terrifying. And I loved it. All right. We'll have to post. Do you have, do you have those pictures still? I do, oh, yeah, absolutely. I do. Oh, great. I can't wait to see them. Oh, man. It's going to be big on vacation photos. <laughs> post them at the OST. I will say that we, uh, I will say that, that I did play this song. Well, so in 2013, I moved from California to Michigan and my wife and I drove out on Highway 80 and I made sure to uh, play this song in like the dead center of the trip. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Very nice. Yeah, we didn't play this <laughs> yeah, song. It felt very America. appropriate. We should have. But every time I hear it, I think of Cocker City. We also saw on that trip, uh, there is a town in Illinois that has uh the world's biggest a lot of things the world's biggest rocking chair the world's biggest wind chimes that's what they do they look up in the guinness book of world records like what the biggest blank is and then they make it bigger world's biggest pitchfork and you can go and like watch them in the workshop it's very cool oh wow yeah (laughs) so um and that we just like discovered we saw it you know saw a sign and just pulled off the highway and 
went there, got a cup of coffee, posed by a bunch of giant things, and got back on the highway. I love road trips. I really do. <laughs> oh, so, um, uh, Rich, what's another one of your favorite songs on this soundtrack? There's still a lot to choose from. Uh, <laughs> well, we could always talk about Let Me Be Your Hog. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can do that, sure. Let me be your hog. Let me Uh, there's not much to talk about. I, I, I mean, like it just shows up like for a little bit. It, it it's one of the ones that's actually in the movie when his when his uncle is uh, is like just you know floating on the pool and that's what he's listening to on the radio. It's about eleven seconds long, and he actually played it as part of the ill-advised vanity tour. Oh, God. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, not when I saw him, but that would have been great. Yeah. Oh, what's another one of my favorite ones, though? Um, I'm trying to think, because uh, this is actually kind of an inconsistent Weird Al album. Like, because uh, it has uh, it has the the, the obligatory polka medley, uh, which uh, if if listeners or if anybody isn't aware, like uh, he has a tradition where he would he'll kind of like run through the the hit the biggest hits of the previous few years um, in med in medley form with everything transformed into like polka music. Uh, except in this case, it's all Rolling Stones songs. So there's an entire like you know little segment of history that isn't turned into polka, which I think is sad. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Like the the late '80s, I guess, missed out on its weird mm-hmm. parody. Um, uh, yeah, but th- this is actually the first that the uh, so so Weird Al is like like I said, he's like the gateway to a lot of music for me. Like this is the first way I heard a lot of these artists, and um, I- I'd heard like Satisfaction before, but otherwise like. This is like the initial way I heard a lot of these Stone songs, like under my thumb and shattered. Yeah, and, things yeah, like that. Yeah. and I'm still yeah, every I, once in a while I'll still discover one and be like, "Hey, this was in a polka." Yeah, yeah. Like one of my earliest Weird Al memories was like a friend of mine had a copy of Bad Hair Day, so the polka that's on that is like nothing but um, like grunge song covers, and that's like what kicked off my interest and enthusiasm for grunge music way too late huh. in my life. That mm-hmm. explains a lot of our a lot of our episodes. That explains like Clerks and the Crow right there. Like <laughs> so, so on so on my own show Discord and Rhyme. Uh, so with every album we cover, we talk about like every, we talk about how we each of us got into the music, mm-hmm. and for like half of everything we talk about, uh, the way I got into it is related <laughs> to Weird Al in some way. <laughs> like uh, if you, if you go back far enough it's like weird all got me into this which got me into this which it, it just it, yeah like uh, he like provided like a map of music for me uh when i well, was 13 years old uh, basically th- for those of you uh who haven't listened to to it yet uh i was just on discord and rhyme talking about duran duran's rio but the first time i heard the reflex which is on seven and the ragged tiger was in a oh. polka that's my introduction to yeah, duran duran here. yeah yeah oh wow <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there there there's a poke medley that starts uh, with with uh, like two Genesis solo members in a row. It starts with um but sorry, yep. it starts with Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer and Phil Collins' Sue Studio. That's the first time I heard either of those songs. Like a ridiculous number of super famous songs I heard yeah. in like and the Sledgehammer video first. It's parodied in UHF. Like it's it all mm-hmm. it all comes yep. together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all ties together. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, Weird Al is very formative for me. So so, Joe, yeah. then your turn. Pick a song. Oh, my gosh. Okay. 
Uh, I want to talk about Attack of the Radioactive Hamsters from a Planet yes. on Mars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because, A, that's like one of my favorite song titles ever because the planet near Mars is Earth, right? <laughs> That, that was always what I thought, yeah. <laughs> or is an undiscovered planet, like, oh, filled with hamsters? Planet X and the asteroid belt. Ah, clever. I like it. But uh, one thing that I noticed right away when I listened to the song was, if you kind of squint your eyes and look at it at the right angle, it kind of sounds like the theme song to Forbidden Zone. Yes. And I'm into that, that. But I'm also just into the general <laughs> uh, sound of this. Let, let me go ahead and play a clip from this. Okay. Yeah. This song is, just has a really unique sound to it, and I, I I do enjoy when Weird Al does songs about like aliens, like this, and like slime creatures from outer space. <laughs> I was just gonna say, yeah, that's what I was and thinking of. Yeah, there's, there's got to be a third one though out there, but like those songs are so different, even among like his own sort of songs. It's he leans real hard into that kind of sci-fi aesthetic, and I love that. Mm-hmm. That again, very specific, like Atomic Age. Yes. Sci-fi yes. aesthetic. Well I, well, I think this is him trying to fit the theme a little bit. Like, this is like a B-movie you would watch on a UHF station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. But this <laughs> one, I I hadn't heard until I dug into the soundtrack and was just cracking up through the whole thing. Um, it's, it just, it's, it's so ridiculous. Uh, there, there's the line about how they want to turn Earth into their... Uh, giant hamster wheel. And just picture <laughs> the whole it. stinking world. Yeah. <laughs> um, and hamsters are just a funny animal, and of course they appear later in like Harvey the Wonder Hamster. Uh, it's it's a theme that Al uses. Yeah. I have to admit, I like Slime Creatures from Outer Space a little bit better, uh, but that's because that one's, like, more specifically a riff on the Thomas Dolby song, Hyperactive, and, like, I like anybody referencing the other Thomas Dolby song. <laughs> oh. I, I always really love the, the bass groove in that song, which is an odd thing to say about a Weird Al song. Well, it's one of those, as you get older, you realize how incredible a musician he is, just how precise, yeah. and how... It, he is like a legitimate genius. Well, the whole so, band is like they're just they're yeah. dedicated to nailing that sound and they always pull it off. Usually. Mostly they always pull it off. Mm-hmm. So anyone who wants to like confirm that Weird Al is a genius, you should check out uh, on the Poodle Hat album track two hardware store. If, if you yes. haven't heard it. Yes. Yeah. It's just this like incredibly like fast paced and just uh, I don't even know how to categorize it in terms of genre besides like novelty song but like uh, he packs in so many words and he makes like just the concept of going to a hardware store like hilarious and interesting like, mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's that uh, breakdown at the end of that song where he's just naming everything and like you could never do this at a karaoke night and if you could <laughs> you're my new favorite person all right <laughs> let's do uh we gotta do ost party discord and rhyme karaoke battle oh my god i'm <laughs> ready time we've challenged you rich there's going to be a lot of moody blues, just to warn you. Oh my, yeah, that's true. You guys fucking love the moody blues. Um, speaking of radioactive hamsters, either of you guys ever play Maniac Mansion? A little bit. I played Day of the Tentacle. I fucking killed it at Day of the Tentacle. That game rules. But ever play the original? 
No, no, I didn't. You can put a hamster in the microwave. Which oh, is oh right yeah 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 there's there's a hamster in Day of the Tentacle too yeah um I always liked it so I always played the Sierra Adventure games as a kid but like I've gotten into the Lucas Arts ones uh, mm-hmm. more recently uh, one thing I like about them is that like the sol- the best solution for each puzzle is what's funniest yeah like, and like in, what would be funny here yeah in Sam and Max hit the road they go to the biggest ball of twine oh. I haven't played that one. I know of its legacy, though. Yeah. Sam and Max Hit the Road was, like, fundamental for me in establishing, again, like, between that and Tommy Boy, just how much I love road trips, which is crazy because I hate driving. I'm a good passenger. I'm a good Chewbacca on a road trip. But now I want to go to this is why we. This is why we need to go on a road trip, because I I love driving. I know. We should. I want to go see those freaking weird rocks. Oh, yeah, you do. (laughs) Let's do it. I want to talk very briefly about she drives like crazy which is a parody of she drives me <laughs> yeah. crazy by the fine young cannibals uh let's just play a clip Now this, I had thought that I had heard when I was a kid and never, I mean, it was one of those, like, I think I'd probably heard it like on somebody's tape and then heard the original, like, you know, you'd hear it on MTV and thought, okay, I must have made, like, as I got older, I thought I must have made up that song. And then this week listening to the soundtrack, realizing that I actually had, in fact, heard a Weird Al song called She Drives Like Crazy about a guy whose girlfriend is a bad driver all those years ago. <laughs> like, it wasn't this false memory. Was good, I guess? Even better, it's a recovered memory. Yes. Now you don't have to live with that that uh, um, anguish anymore. I know. It was kind of neat. So, because I don't know where I would have heard that. It seems like it would have been before this album came out, but I guess not. It would have had to have been after 1989. But I feel like I was younger, so mm. like I'm still like piecing together like any of any of that. So that's all I wanted to say about that. Somebody... It's not. It's not a particularly great song. It's you know, it's got that kind of weird out like women's. Yeah. Am I right? That you get with like yeah, la- lady drivers. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. It's a little lazy. Yeah. It's same with like um, you see that also in girls just want to have lunch. Like okay, I see why you got married late, buddy. Well, so <laughs> girls just want to have lunch. I want to note though, like the the um the record company like just wanted him to do a Cindy Lauper parody against yeah. his will basically. And so yeah. he gave them like the shittiest parody he possibly could. <laughs> it's not good. Uh, yeah. I can't, I can't excuse that. Or she drives like crazy. Well, one thing I will say is this is the second version of she drives me crazy that I ever heard. And the first one was the Muppets version. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, the fine young cannibals one. I heard after this one, uh, <laughs> like I, I got like, uh, I went, I got like, I went back. I went back ass words into music. I, I swear. <laughs> I actually just found the uh, forty-five of "She Drives Me Crazy" on IRS Records. Mm-hmm. Uh, so look for that on Record Saturday. Oh boy! Yeah. So we're I, we're missing a big one here, guys. Well, tee it up. Let's do it. 
Uh, does somebody want to guess what it is? Uh, are we talking about spam? We are talking about spam. Oh, It's 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 stand, but it's about spam. Hooray! Is well, okay. Let's think about the song "Stand." Okay. For starters, is it any goofier? No. Then yeah, it's that's like, what I was gonna say. This is actually a more lyrically sophisticated song than "Stand." <laughs> I would say. Like I don't have I mean, any we special. Are recording love. This. It is Michael Stipe's birthday, by the way. Oh, oh yeah, true. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's true. sixty. 60 Can you old. believe it? Like I don't have any special love for Stand. It is it is a goofy, dumb song on its own. But like, I don't know something about this. It seems so easy to me. I guess, but maybe yes. that's just the Weird Al magic trick. Well, the other thing is that it is delicious. Spam is funny. It's always going to be funny. It's just it's a funny food, and but like it establishes it in the Weird Al brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you see cans of spam when he when he and Bob go back to their apartment after being fired from Big Edna's Burger World. You see it like in their, uh, in their cabinet when he's making the uh, hot dog we- or the uh, t- uh, uh, yeah, Twinkie yeah. Wiener sandwich. Yeah, and Weird Al has a and Weird Al has a lot of food songs to the point where he has like a whole food album yeah. to accompany the TV album, which is where yeah. I first heard this song. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's funny that, like, uh, well, because all of these songs are essentially, uh, I don't know, like, he doesn't really, like, ring a lot of, like, lyrical uh, complexity out of this, is out of these, uh, out of these subjects. It's always just, like, variations on, like, this food is good, you should eat it, I'm obsessed with it, I like it. Like, uh, I don't know whether or not it's, like, uh, he has a parody of the uh, uh, New Kids on the Blocks, uh, the right stuff, called uh, The White yep. Stuff, a- aka The White Stuff in the Middle of the Oreo. <laughs> Here's what I don't get. Who gets anything other than double stuff Oreos? Why do they even make single mm-hmm. stuff Oreos? By the way, you can make that stuff in the middle out of uh, powdered sugar and shortening. There, I've ruined your life. Cool. I'll do it. I have to go now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my main complaint or, or, or whatever is this, this doesn't belong on the UHF album. Like, I, f- I feel like more of the songs should be, like, t- geared towards television. Yeah. And some of them are, yeah. but then there's spam. It just confuses I me. I agree. Uh, and actually finding out, because I had this, well, my sister, rather, had it on the Food album. So realizing that this is where it originated was odd to me. Like, huh. Yeah, yeah. So um, I would have thought this one would have been, like, on in 3D. But yeah, it, in 3D, actually, I feel like is more of a television album somehow. Yeah, I was just listening to that, actually, to warm up for this episode. Uh, I, I was thinking that, too. It has uh, the parody of the safety dance, the Brady yeah. Bunch. And so I wonder why not, you know, incorporate some more of that. It's, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's worth asking the question because you can tell they kind of wanted the album to sort of reflect the movie because you've got, you know, a, a tech of the radioactive hamsters. We've got... Um, uh, well, UHF, obviously, Beverly Hillbillies, and one we haven't even touched yet, uh, Isle Thing, which is all about <laughs> Gilligan's Island. Yes. So there's definitely a theme going on. It's just they're not entirely consistent mm-hmm. with it. By the way, I like that the um, uh, uh, just the beginning is uh, met this fine young thing at the local Circle K. 
<laughs> Circle K is like a Hannaford. Just a nice little like touch there. <laughs> or a Piggly Wiggly. I'm weird about like I love like regional grocery stores and regional fast food. Just like mm-hmm. any sort of weird little regional chain, I think is adorable. Oh, I thought that just uh, Circle K is famous because uh, strange things are afoot there, as we all know from Bill and Ted's. That's true. Yeah. That, uh, yes. Yes, indeed. So, um, I kind of wonder. I would have liked to have seen more theme songs, even short ones, about four things like World of Fish and uh yeah yeah raul's wild mm-hmm. kingdom i think it should be noted yeah that uh trinidad silva who plays raul um did die after uh the principal shoot um uh, he was killed in a drunk driving accident he was hit and killed so the yeah, film is yeah. dedicated to his memory and i you know didn't want to uh you know do this this episode without mentioning that and yeah, Trinidad it, Silva is great. I have, oh, sorry, I just want to say, like, uh, he, um, I primarily, the, the other thing I've seen him in is he has, like, a really memorable recurring role as an informant in Hill Street Blues. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. But he also gets uh, one of the film's famous lines, and that's the, uh, you know, Nino Stinkin' Badgers. Four porcupines, two armadillas, three badgers. Badgers? Badgers? We don't need no stinking badgers. Yeah, his other scene, though, I would say I, I thought it was funny as a kid, but watching it now, I'm like, oh, he's abusing animals. <laughs> yeah, just like murdering. <laughs> the fact that he died before they could like include him in the end in, in the film kind of makes his like one scene like really stand out. Like it's just it's wild and terrible, but you can't <laughs> stop watching it. Yeah, I just looked over at my husband. He's like, "What the what?" <laughs> <laughs> So, um, what show on UCB do you think you would always watch? It would have to be. It would have to be Celebrity Mud Wrestling. Okay, <laughs> Michelle Gorbachev with with Mikhail Gorbachev. Oh, I would watch Philo's show, Secret Secrets <laughs> of of the Universe, Universe. <laughs> Anything with Philo. Yeah. Uh, by the way, like uh, apparently originally he was going to be played by Joel Hogson from uh, from Mystery Science Theater, which shut been the great. front door. Yep. I, yeah. yeah. What? <laughs> and why wasn't he? I I'm not sure. There, I think there was like a schedule conflict. I think it was because Joel was work was developing a little show called Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh yeah. Right. This was like right when that started. Yeah. That's yeah. Oh wow. That's wild. Um and actually his last scene, um, where he's like, I have to go back to my home planet, it's very uh reminiscent of Repo Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like Repo Man crossed with Pee Wee's big adventure. Well, incidentally, the uh Chiodo brothers, Stephen, Charles, and Edward, uh who did the claymation sequence right at the end there also did the large march sequence well there you have it that's it wow yeah yeah yeah, the same pedigree you can see that right there perfect it was actually my husband that pointed that out because he's a big (laughs) fan of theirs because he loves horrible puppetry and horrible claymation excuse me claymation is a dying art form and we need to respect it oh god no god bless you will (laughs) vinton wherever you are Yeah, my husband has, like, collections of, like, the Quay Brothers, and I'm like, no, thank you, man. <laughs> I could do, like, five minutes, and then I get really creeped out by that stuff. I'm weirded out by puppets. So, But that's, another, again, that's, like, part of the charm of this film is, is UHF really does, like, immerse itself in, like, kitsch culture, and you can tell Weird Al really loves that stuff. Yeah, because you've and got, genuinely, you, there's yeah. no irony to it. 
it's really, there's, really genuine. There's like the the mm-hmm. kids the kids clubhouse scenes, which are just horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got like there's some self awareness too, though. Like Weird Al realizes that he's not actually a very good comedic actor. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and like so uh, and needs like stanley spadowski to def- uh, yeah anyway he's yeah he's he's much better or george newman is much better as a, a puppet master i guess yeah mm-hmm. yeah he's an idea man yeah um, even if his ideas are commercials for spatula city spatula city spatula so- city yeah that's also on the soundtrack <laughs> yeah uh as is as we said gandhi too um conan the librarian I think is is one of those ones that it's, I had always heard and that didn't realize is from this movie. Don't you know the Dewey Decimal System? <laughs> I, I, that that when the guy brings the the, the books back, is like I think they're a little overdue, and he just chops them right in half. It's just in HD. Like I have the Blu-ray of this. It's shocking. Really? <laughs> yes. But I don't want the episode to end without like I just want to give a, a shout out to my favorite sight gag in the movie, which is just like when right at the beginning at the party when they're suggesting um, giving the station to uh, to George, like they 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 cut over to him and he's like uh, uh, just a second and he's like feeding a dog like out of a punch bowl <laughs> with a ladle, like and you're like wait why is he why is he doing that? And then they call him over, and he like puts the and he puts the dog into the punch bowl. With, but like I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think it's hilarious. So um, I watched this movie twice this week, and the second time was with the audio commentary. Uh, and in that scene, Al explains that like they got a trained dog to like stand on the table and drink out of the punch bowl, but it absolutely would not behave. So that's why you have oh. Al just 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 grabbing the dog and force feeding it punch. Because the dog would not act on, on <laughs> that's cue. That's amazing. That that's hilarious. That's like a yeah. That's a a production flub that made it funnier. Because it's like I don't know. That makes you like imagine the situation. Like, uh, you know, this this dog was like wandering the party, and Weird Al was like, "Oh, yeah. obviously you need some punch. <laughs> Let me help you." Or like, I don't know anybody else at this party. I'll talk to this yeah. dog. Uh, who hasn't been that person at the uh, party? I, yeah, I, I know that situation. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Introvert. Now. Hooray! <laughs> so we're we're wrapping up the album here. There's only a couple of tracks yeah. left to talk about. Um, one that we can kind of touch on briefly is generic blues. Mm-hmm. Which Libby, I have to ask you a very serious question: Why did they steal a track from the Roadhouse soundtrack? Because <laughs> <laughs> this is basically a parody of the Jeff Healy band. Yes, right? I think so. Oh. Um, uh, this is an original. And apparently, B.B. King says it is one of his top ten favorite blues songs. How much better can you get? That's it how you pretty, know. It is pretty funny. It, it is. It is. It, it's a it's a legit good song. Like the my, uh, friend in, my, my friend in high school called it like a parody of itself. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, and I, I like I, I don't know. I just think all the little touches are funny. Just when, like when the blues solo just turns into this like screeching uh, emergency <laughs> alarm, and he tells it to make it shut up. <laughs> But this one should honestly. This is a better Jeff Healy song than any Jeff Healy song. We just have to make like our ultimate mix where we just like swap songs out from other soundtracks. Like Generic Blues is now on Roadhouse. Oh, we should do that. We should like take one of the movies we've watched and like reconstruct a soundtrack based on other songs we've listened to. And there's a there there is there is one song we haven't touched on yet, and it's uh it's the song Fun Zone, which is a. 
it's an instrumental and it plays when Stanley Spadowski, Michael, Richard, Michael Richards, character is first like uh, making his like big, like I'm famous now TV appearance. And it plays yeah. when he comes out like on the fire truck and shoots the kid with the fire hose. That's the scene everybody knows from this movie. If you don't yeah, know that you movie, to you drink know from that the fire scene. hose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, so it's ju- it's just a catchy instrumental, but Weird Al would uh, always use it to begin his shows. When this song plays, you know that he's about to come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think I had yes. read that this was, um, I mean, it was recorded as Stanley Spadowski's theme, but then I think they repurposed it later for something else. Um, I think it was originally the theme to a it show was, called Welcome okay. to the Fun Zone. So that's why it's okay. called Fun Zone. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So, which is weird, because then you think, wait, is Fun Zone, like, in a vault somewhere? Can we see Fun Zone? Is it, like, Forbidden Zone? <laughs> like, did, was it ever made? Well, we, well, we did, well, we, well, there is the Where actual, is like, you know, short-lived one season long Weird Al show, uh, which... Yeah, it's I watched a few episodes funny. of it. It's it was fine. Uh, breaking news: a pi- the pilot for Welcome to the Fun Zone is on YouTube. Oh, I did find it. Ooh, so we showed that notes. in right. the show notes. Yes. Yes. Um, the, I guess yeah. The last thing we really didn't talk about much uh, is Stanley Spadowski. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there's, there's the obvious reason. You know, M- Michael Richards went on to uh, play Kramer and then yell it some people that he shouldn't have yelled at and that's terrible but Stanley Spadowski really makes this movie yes he's so unhinged and delightfully so because you you want to be annoyed at him because he's really annoying but there's such a sweetness there that just dials it enough back where you're willing to go with him. Yeah, my my wife wasn't sure really sure what to think of him because he's clearly funny, but he's also clearly not neurotypical. Uh, so it's like you're all, you wonder like how much we're supposed to like laugh at him or laugh with him. But I think there's enough laughing with him. Like overall, like he's he's pretty self aware. I would say, mm-hmm. and he's so happy. Like he's he is he has friends. He's so just pleased. He's comfortable with himself. He's so excited to be a part of the team. Like he just love he's he's, mm-hmm. he's happy to be here basically yeah and he finally he has friends he has people who treat him well he has a new mop he gets his old mop and i would say uh, yeah you get to drink from the fire hose is definitely the quote of the movie but for me it's uh i'm thinking of something orange give up <laughs> it's an orange it's that's perfect and he has his whole uh his whole speech about the mop which we can Oh yeah, like it's it. it's yeah, the on, network parody on bad days like today like it's very inspirational yes Yes. Um and this it it's funny because you know that's that's a parody of network which like no child is going to see. No, but that's the kind of reference that was out there in like the mid to late 80s like that was just a thing that everybody kind of sort of knew even if you didn't know what it was from. But watching it now and then you know sort of reconnecting that back to a film that like we now as adults can watch is kind of neat. Also the um uh, R.J. Fletcher's whole monologue about how the people are what is how does he describe a festering them? bowl of dog snot? Yes, the <laughs> festering bowl of dog slime harkens back to a face in the crowd. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna bring so that it, up. Uh, I... Yeah, it it takes from these these great films and is able to utilize those themes and parody those 
uh, to sort of make them, I don't want to say palatable for children, but like Weird Al introducing us to the Kinks and the Rolling Stones and Duran Duran, <laughs> introducing us to, you know, network and face in the crowd and close encounters of the third kind and and all of these other wonderful Introducing films. us to like mainstream adult culture, basically. Well, yeah. Well, to go back to facing the crowd, like not only R.J. Fletcher's fall, like parodies lonesome or uh, parallels lonesome roads is, but also I, I, one thing I noticed is that like just Stanley Spadowski's whole rise, like he very much resembles a not evil lonesome roads. Like even his physicality is very similar to Andy Griffith. Oh like, wow, mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about yeah. that. Yeah, Andy Griffith, uh, another underrated hottie. Like I, I don't, I don't think that the movie is like a movie length reference to Facing the Crowd or anything. I just think that, like you know, Weird Al was making his, this is his first screenplay. Like, uh, he it's it's possible he could have like used that as like a means to structure it or something. Yeah. Uh, e- either way, I, it's it's cool. Like, there's some savvy like. It was probably there. it was probably floating around in the back of his mind. Yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. I think it's I think they did right in not kind of overplaying their hand on that because they definitely could have. I mean, yeah. they heck, they they go on and they re- they like make do full blown parodies of like uh, Rambo and Shaft with the Gandhi two thing, and it's just like, uh, yeah, it's it's funny and cool, but like also it's a little bit much for this this very otherwise kind of PG you know kids movie. It's, yeah, yeah. It, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that, but uh, yeah, so that's pretty much it. I don't have anything else to say about that. Yeah. Um, Um, When are we getting a Criterion Collection uh, mm -hmm. version of UHF? This definitely deserves like a big box set kind of release. Like the the, uh, uh, Shout Factory has a a Blu-ray out. That's great. There's a lot of fun stuff on there. Um, And actually watching this in Blu-ray, like I've noticed details that I never spotted before, like in the big final crowd scene when they finally like save the station and RJ Fletcher standing there, there's a kid standing right behind him and he's wearing suspenders and he's wearing a big like red, uh, don't panic hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy button on his suspenders, (laughs) (laughs) which like, so even in the late eighties, like hitchhiker's guide was huge and they like, it's out there. I love that. That's great. Uh, That, 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 that Jay Levy mise en scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, this was filmed in my home state, Oklahoma. It was filmed out by Tulsa in an abandoned mall. And if you listen to the commentary, Weird Al, every time a new scene starts, Weird Al will just rattle rattle off the uh, address, the street address to oh, where yeah. they filmed it. And at a certain point, I was like, is he just making this up? So I had to look it up. No, they're all <sighs> correct. This, that, you know what? And knowing that, because I love going out to Oklahoma. It's where my grandmother lives. And they got Dr. Pepper Ices. The only two good things about Oklahoma. And actually, I take that back because my friend Mike Ross lives there. So uh, shout out to my buddy Mike. He's running for assembly again. I'm really proud of him. And now we could go up to Tulsa and we could visit all of the scenes where uh, UHF was filmed. That might be a way to get my husband to go back out to Oklahoma. Hey, we can go see Big Edna's Burger World. I have a friend in Tulsa. Uh, Yeah, I do that. As long as there's record shopping involved. Well, you and Joe, I'll come down to see you, and then we'll drive over. <laughs> we'll make a stop over at the Georgia Guidestones, and then we'll hit Tulsa, Oklahoma. I love this plan. Yes. Let's do it. And, uh, Rich, you can drive down. You'll have to drive through Texas if you need to pick up some Jesus t-shirts and or hardcore pornography. Do not get derailed by the ball of twine. It's not worth it. <laughs> Noted. Um, so, okay. <laughs> so, I think that wraps up UHF for us. Yeah, that's, that's about it. So, final thoughts on UHF. Uh, how does the album hang together? As a soundtrack... It's 
not it's not a soundtrack. It is an album featuring some soundtrack cuts. Yeah, it's not a soundtrack at all. It it really does kind of feel like an afterthought to the movie, doesn't oh, it? Oh shoot, we made a movie. I guess we better put a soundtrack together. Oh, oh shoot, I know we forgot something. God. Yeah, this used to be this used to actually be one of my favorite Weird Al albums just because of all of just the wacky clips and just uh, I don't know that it was kind of like off center from his normal ones. I I think that in the grand scheme of uh, of his albums it's definitely one of the weaker ones though just song for song uh, just anyone who wants to get into him just uh, I, in 3d is hard to mess with i'm gonna go That's with dare true. to be stupid i mean that was just that was my first so but it's weird because there there's mm-hmm. a real divide but like someone who like giving that to my niece she's gonna have no frame of reference for like it's like yeah that's true like, a lot of this is starting to age in a way that i don't think we're ready for yeah but yeah, I, I tend to agree. Like this, this album is fun. I enjoy it, but I can definitely see like the seams in it, and mm-hmm. a lot of it does feel kind of uh, not rushed, but just like like you said, Libby. Like, oh shit, we have to put an album out. Yeah, and it's a. Uh, it would. I think it would have been better to either write a whole soundtrack, or release an album that had, you know, money for nothing, Beverly Hillbillies, and UHF. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. And and, there, and leave it at that. you know there are some some like real gems on here too. So it's not oh, like this yeah. is it, it, it's not like this is just a, a waste because you still have you know the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota and UHF and um, Attack of the Radioactive Hamsters from a planet near Mars. It's just it's it, it's it's not cohesive enough, I guess, to be a soundtrack to the movie UHF. Yeah, I think that's the difference. Is it's a fine album. It's not a soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, Rich, any parting thoughts from your first uh, first OST party? Uh, yeah, I've been wanting to be on here for a while, and there was like no question that w- that it would be UHF when it when I did eventually <laughs> when I did eventually like uh, come on here. So thank you for having me. We're so happy. Sorry you had to wait to twenty seven. Oh, oh no, <laughs> no problem at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was great having you on. Thanks for thanks for coming. All right, so what are we doing next week, Joe? Uh, next time, Libby, you and I are hitting the road, as promised, in my uh, my Chevrolet Sheepdog as we discuss the soundtrack to 1994's Dumb and Dumber. Oh boy, another Jim Carrey extravaganza. Let's do this. It never ends. <laughs> It'll end once we hit the year 2000. It just tapers right off. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. Rich, where can we find you on the internet? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Zone Trope, though I post a lot of depressing climate change shit. So if you want to follow my podcast, uh, Discord and Rhyme, it, that's at Discord Pod, and that and that has a lot of cool music stuff. So you should follow them it's instead. It's an excellent podcast. I endorse it, yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, Libby, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday, or you can hear me talk about The Shield over on the Shattered Shield podcast. Joe, where can they find you? I am on Twitter at Cordial Wombat, and also if you want to hear me talk about Christmas movies, I run a podcast called Christmas Creeps, where we do that all year round. We are taking a long winter's nap right now, so we will be back in a few weeks. All right. Um, So that uh, just about does it. So, Rich, again, thank you so much for coming on. It was so great to have you. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, if you discuss, like, uh, if you discuss Lebowski, I'm a predictable member of my generation. Okay. That sounds like fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm here for that. I have a good story, not about the big Lebowski, but like loosely around that, which also happened on my honeymoon. <laughs> so. You had a weird honeymoon. I had a very weird honeymoon. It was great. It involves an abandoned amusement park. Oh, my God.
We have to do that episode now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's going to do it this week. So for the OST party, I'm Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. Maybe I'll go bowling. Or I just might go bowling. Maybe I'll just rent some shoes and go bowling. Maybe I'll join a league, enter a tournament, put on a stupid looking shirt and go bowling. <laughs>